to More Living with Jim Brogan, your source of information for living the best years of your life, your way. For more than a decade, host Jim Brogan and his expert guests have come together each week to share important news and advice that can impact the lives and well-being of those who are retired and those nearing retirement. Learn about issues like health and fitness, financial planning, social security benefits, investment advice, and more. And now, here's the host of More Living, Jim Brogan. Hello, East Tennessee. Welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. You know, personal health and well-being is an essential part of our daily lives. And when faced with a medical emergency or opportunities to prevent disease, there are always questions as the best way to help out and be a part of the solution. And that's no different when we look at the ways to combat COVID-19. You know, the pandemic has altered almost everyone in our daily lives from the ways we communicate to how we interact with one another. And I know more and more people that have had covid Uh, I have had COVID. I had COVID the very end of December between Christmas and New Year. I got COVID and the flu at the same time. And thankfully, I'm, you know, doing pretty well. Got through that and, you know, had a little bit of a lingering cough. But, you know, I know we, we just never know. I think there's that fear factor that you just never know how it's going to affect you when you get it. And, you know, last spring and summer, we just couldn't wait until a vaccine was ready. Well, now we have two vaccines available, and we have a third that is hopefully going to be approved and come to market fairly soon. But we're still waiting. Many of us are not eligible for a vaccine yet. Some of us are a little skeptical about something that was developed so quickly, and there's a lot of rumors out there. You know, I've known people that have gotten vaccines and had no issue whatsoever um, I've had peop- known people that got vaccines and were sick for a couple of days or had swelling at the site of the injection. So what is real about these vaccines and what is not real? So today, our guest uh, for the first half of the show is a local immunologist who will help us break down the vaccine, what's real, what's, what's a myth, what's reality. So I'd like to welcome Dr. Andy Singer to the show. He is a board-certified allergist and immunologist with Allergy and Asthma Associates. Good morning, Dr. Singer. Welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan. Hi, thanks for having me this morning. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Singer is an allergist and immunologist. I know you treat patients with a variety of, of issues. Uh, many of which could put them at a higher risk for complications due to COVID. So what have been some of the challenges that you've seen for your patients during the pandemic? It's been several fold. Uh, Certainly, as you alluded to, misinformation has been an issue, both about how the virus is spread, what kind of symptoms you can get from it, and then certainly with the issue with vaccines and a lot of uncertainty. We take care of a lot of patients who have asthma, which puts them at a slight increased risk from complications. We also have a large population of immune deficient patients. So these are patients whose immune systems don't work well and puts them at higher risk because they can't fight off infections. Dr. Singer, what about blood type? I know that's been, you know, there's been a lot of discussion online. It seems like some of it's real, some of it's not real. seems like there's a lot of chatter that O to O blood types don't have as bad of a reaction. Uh, what, what do you say? about blood type and the effect on COVID-19? 
There may be some truth to that. Uh, the problem is I, I wouldn't bet on it. Uh, so if you've got O blood type, I wouldn't wander around thinking I'm safe from it because that's not always the case. Other health issues put you at greater risk than the benefit of that O type might give you. Uh, obesity, blood sugar control issues, hypertension, for example, advancing age. So uh, just because you have the O blood type doesn't mean it's a guard against definitely getting severe disease. Yeah, that's a good word, I think. You know, COVID's been here now for about a year, almost a year. And, you know, there's you know there's a lot of speculation. Maybe it was here before that. But anyway, we're coming up on a year, and we don't know a lot about the long-term effects of the virus. You know, the, the long-term effect on the lungs particularly has been discussed some. Have you seen any trends or lasting effects of COVID that concern you? Yeah, we've had several patients, not even our asthmatics necessarily, but patients who've had significant pneumonia from COVID. Uh, I just spoke with a patient actually on uh, Thursday, in fact, that he was kind of an early adopter of COVID in September, um, and he still has significant shortness of breath. He was uh, an avid runner, avid jogger, and he has difficulty now walking across parking lots, going upstairs uh, from his illness. Um, and that's not an uncommon theme. That it, That's not the majority of cases by any sense. But for some patients, that is the reality. Is that potential long-term damage to the lungs? Or do you think the lungs can heal, or the body can heal that itself? I think patients will continue to improve, but they may not get back to the original baseline. Uh, some of this does wow. appear, at least on imaging, x-rays, CT scans, to have some scarring. And as you, as you mentioned, we just don't, this is still pretty new. We don't know how long it may take to recover, and we'll just have to follow these patients long-term and do our best to support them through this. Now, the CDC, Dr. Singer, references uh, reaching herd immunity at some point, you know, to help combat the, the, the pandemic. There are reports that many people are either hesitant or not interested in receiving a COVID vaccine. And we're going to get into some of that here in just a minute. But what is herd immunity, and do you think we can achieve that? Is it 70% of the population? Does it, does it depend on herd immunity along with the vaccination? So herd immunity is a concept that enough people have some immunity that the virus can't spread around. Think of a uh, ping pong ball kind of bouncing around and eventually hitting like a surface that doesn't bounce off of. Well, that surface the ball doesn't bounce off of is as someone who's been vaccinated. You get enough of those soft surfaces around, if you will, the ball stops bouncing around and then we don't have disease anymore. Uh, this has been shown as multiple other vaccines. We don't honestly know if it's 70% or 80%, but that's based on other illnesses that uh, we vaccinated against. So that's a pretty good range. Now, her now immunity, if, somebody, if somebody's had the virus, you know, they have immunity for at least some length of time. So is that included in those numbers? It, that is, that is. So you achieve herd immunity two ways. One is through natural infection, which means people get sick and will get hospitalized and may succumb to the illness. But you can also get it through a vaccine where people don't have that. They get immunity without having to experience the real disease and its symptoms. You know, about immunity, if you've had it, more and more of us, I mean, more and more people in the East Tennessee community have had COVID-19. It's amazing the numbers of people I talk to that have had it. And my whole family's had it. Now, uh, my wife and I and my child that live at home, we all got it at the same time, just before the new year. My oldest daughter, who's in college, got it in college. Um, you know, there's been a lot of, at first they were saying it'll, you, you know, you'll have immunity for three months. There's been a report from the CDC, maybe it's eight months. Is it just all over the board and it just depends on the person's body? How long do we have immunity? It probably depends to some degree on severity of illness that you experience. 
there are also things to consider. One easy way we measure immunity is measuring antibody levels and you know, seeing what those are after someone's had an infection. Those numbers drop over time, but that's not the only way we have immunity. We have a group of white blood cells uh, that uh, direct the immune system, kind of tell the immune system what to do, and they actually have a good memory for infections. So I suspect that sort of immunity will last longer, and I think that eight, nine months uh, number is probably closer to the mark, if not even longer than that. We just don't know at this point in time, but if you look at how other diseases work, that's true for them. Okay, let's get into a little bit, uh, Dr. Singer. We're visiting with Dr. Andy Singer. Uh, he's an immunologist, and we're talking about COVID-19 and the vaccine. Uh, you know, there have been some side effects of the vaccine. The most recent that we hear about is a rash at the injection site. I mean, that doesn't seem like a big deal to me. Are these side effects, a pe- uh, you know, a reason for people to delay or avoid the vaccine? Uh, we've just been discussed ad nauseum. What do you say? Uh, they really aren't. There are a few people who probably shouldn't get the vaccine, and that really depends on prior allergic reaction history to a vaccine or one of its ingredients. But for most people, these vaccines have turned out to be very safe. The, the rash that the should be doing, the, the aches and pains that people get, the, uh, some people are experiencing fevers, uh, a lot of fatigue. Those are all signs your immune system is working and doing what it should in response to the vaccine. So having a vaccine come out so fast like that, you know, that makes me a little nervous. You know, what are the long-term implications? I mean, we really don't know, or, or do we? I mean, am I, you know, I'm not a doctor. So, you know, are my, it seems like the vast majority of the medical community is not worried about the vaccine and feels like we should take the vaccine. So can you, can you, can you share your thoughts on that? Sure. So we have actually, uh, experimentally, these vaccines have, uh, been injected in people's arms since about March of this past year. So they've been used for almost a year at this point. Uh, one thing to consider is we aren't even sure all the long-term effects of COVID itself uh, and the infection that has, and certainly any side infection or vaccine would be less than that. Uh, the vaccines, one question people do have is that these seem rushed. They, they came to market so quickly. There are a couple things, though, that some barriers that were removed uh, in these vaccine trials. One was the money if you're in Operation Warp Speed really helps throw tons of money at this problem, and that's often a barrier. The other is that when you're studying vaccines, you need a lot of people to have the infectious disease to see if the vaccine works. Because there's so much COVID around, that was not a problem. It was very easy to quickly get people who were exposed or had infections to really measure how it worked. So those two hurdles really sped up the process of it. There were, weren't really any corners cut in terms of safety or monitoring of the vaccine. Well, that's a great word. That's very well said. Um, we're visiting with Dr. Andy Singer. He is an allergist and immunologist with Allergy and Asthma Associates. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the vaccines. Also, if you've had COVID, how long do you need to wait before you get a vaccine? And what is the plan here in Tennessee? What can we expect in Knoxville? There's been a lot of rumors about mass shortages in the vaccine. Uh, what can we expect? So stay with us. You're listening to More Living with Jim Brogan, only on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. You are listening to More Living with Jim Brogan. 
During the week, Jim is a financial advisor, an author and speaker with an MBA from the University of Tennessee who specializes in helping people in or near retirement plan for the next phase of their lives. You can reach Brogan Financial during the week at 865-862-6800 or on the web at broganfinancial.com. And now, here's Senior Market Advisor Magazine's 2011 National Advisor of the Year and host of More Living, Jim Brogan. Thanks for tuning in on this cool and crisp weekend. This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm Jim Brogan, and if you missed that first segment, uh, as we visit with Dr. Andy Singer, he's an immunologist, and we're talking about the COVID vaccine. Uh, you can catch us again at three o'clock this afternoon. We stop, we, 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 we run every week at, we're live at nine o'clock and then we rerun at three. So if you miss part of it, now we'll have the show on, uh, we'll have it podcast on our website, uh, by Monday. So you can always listen to pieces of the show then as well. Uh, we've been talking again about the COVID-19 and about myths and realities with the vaccine, especially. And Dr. Singer, let's talk about somebody that's had COVID. Uh, what is the rule of thumb before, you know, you, you don't, my understanding, you don't rush out and get the vaccine if you've already had COVID. What, what is the rule of thumb there on how long you should wait? And, and, and if we're immune for a while, then that shouldn't be a problem, right? Well, the idea is it's still get vaccinated because the immune system is going to respond more strongly to the vaccine than just the infection. Uh, the general rule, though, is you want to get vaccinated within about 90 days if you've actually had COVID. Uh, this is also important in people who have had COVID and got treated with some of the uh, medicines that are being used. There's convalescent plasma. That What that means is those are patients who've already had COVID and you use their antibodies to help somebody fend off the infection. And there are also some other products that are called monoclonal antibodies that you get as an infusion. And those are also laboratory-made antibodies that help fight off infections. Both of those don't last in our body that long. The vaccine may not work if you have those antibodies actively in your system. So you need to wait about that 90 days till those have subsided so that the vaccine works the best. I'll say to be clear, we should not get a vaccine for 90 days. Right. Especially if you've, if had, you've had, the, had COVID. If you've had COVID or if you, especially if you've had the medications that treat it with those uh, okay. monoclonal antibodies. And when it comes to plasma and convalescent plasma, by the way, we're going to, uh, in the back half of the show, in the second half hour, we're going to have uh, Christy Altman, Director of Communications and Donor Engagement for Medic, and we're going to talk about blood and plasma donation. so stay tuned with that. Um, now, none of the vaccines have been approved for the use in children under age 16. Now, most children are non-symptomatic or have milder cases, but they are capable of spreading the disease. So do you know if anyone is conducting trials for use in children or manufacturers just focused right now on getting the vaccines to adults? So the Pfizer vaccine, they have enrolled all the patients they think they need for ages 12 to 16. And Moderna is also, they are actively enrolling patients at 12 to 18. Uh, under age 12 will be probably different protocols and different doses, so that's going to require different trials. So that's going to take longer. I mean, Dr. Singer, I, you know, I've got a child that's 15. I can't imagine why I would want to get a 15-year-old child vaccinated with the children having, it doesn't seem like children and teenagers have much of an issue with COVID-19. Am, am I off base there? 
Well, one of the issues with COVID is you have to consider it's not just me, it's the other people around me. And even Uh, though the 15 and 16-year-olds and 12-year-olds, for that matter, may not get that sick, some do, but although they may not get that sick, they are potential carriers and can spread it to other people, such as grandparents or people who are more susceptible. Now, we've heard stories about concerns about uh, reproductive ability that could be affected by the vaccine long-term in young people. Is that a myth? That, that is a myth. Um, it is true to say these vaccines haven't been studied in people who are pregnant, although one of the clinical trials did have patients who became pregnant with no concerns. Uh, there, I have seen some of these Internet dots people have connected about uh, some concerns of some proteins that might be in the placenta. Those are really far-reaching dots to connect, and uh, we've not seen any issues amongst patients who have been vaccinated in terms of the fertility. Uh, so I really don't think that's a concern. Okay, well, that's a good word. It's good to hear that or straight from an immunologist. Now, according to John Hopkins, flu cases are significantly down this year. Now, is that, seems like there would be a variety of reasons. Certainly, we're avoiding contact, we're wearing masks, we're staying home when we're sick. Is that the main reason? Uh, I know, you know, my wife and I had COVID and the flu. We had flu, I think, type A. But then the doctor that, uh, that w- when we got diagnosed said that they've seen that people that get both have had very mild cases of the flu. But then the flu cases are way down. So can you give us an update on what your analysis is of that data? I'll tell you, it's a very interesting winter season. I have prescribed so few antibiotics compared to past years. All infections other than COVID have really decreased because of the distancing, because of the mask wearing. Uh, There was also a a big push to get people vaccinated with the flu this year so they didn't have co-infection. And the flu vaccine may not always prevent the flu, but it does make it less severe. Uh, And then lastly, this year's flu vaccine seems to be a really good fit for the flu, meaning it very accurately. Uh, targets the flu so people have better immunity than in past years so it's a several different factors but it has has made life a little easier for us you know i know the i've read that the culture in japan you know and i think there's some things we can learn you know that culture there if you're sick uh, you know or, or have any kind of symptoms this was before covid you know they wear they'll wear a mask if they go out in public and they try to stay away and, and limit contact with people if they just have a cough or a sore throat. You know, here in America, of course, we've got such tremendous geographical space in, in our geography, but uh, compared to something like, you know, an island like Japan. But uh, do you think that our society and our approach and our thoughts about masks, you're kind of shunned in Japan, from my understanding. If you're not, you know, if you're coughing or not feeling well and you're not wearing a mask, you're kind of shunned. And that's not the case here. Do you think that there's long-lasting implications of how we uh, react, we adjust to things like, you know, having coughs or the sniffles or sinusitis and things like that? Right. I, I think it would be great if people, when they're sick after this is all over, would continue to wear masks. Uh, not every person, but when you're ill. It's just a nice way to respect other people to not get them sick. I think We've so, all- too. Yeah, we've all gone places and you come home three days later and you're sick. I'm like, I saw that person coughing. I probably got it from him. Well, with a mask, you could prevent that. Staying home, you could prevent that. So that would be it's nice. Just a that simple res- that's just simple respect for others, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, this doesn't have to be extremes on one side or the other on this mask stuff. It seems, 
you know, common sense and just res- mutual respect for others, especially if, we, if we've got, you know, symptomatic conditions, right? Exactly. And I, I take care of an immune deficient population. And what's a minor cold for one person could be a devastating illness for them. Sure. So it, it is nice to be able to keep other people safe. Now, Dr. Singer, he's an immunologist with Allergy and Asthma Associates. Rollout and distribution of the COVID vaccine has been much slower than anticipated. I've heard word of significant shortages here in East Tennessee. Where is the bottleneck and where are we here in, in Tennessee? Um, we are slowly vaccinating people. Um, most of the bottleneck seems to be it's, no one is sure exactly how many doses they'll get when. So it's very difficult to plan ahead and you don't want to schedule 3,000 people for vaccinations on a Saturday morning if you only get 1,500 doses of vaccine. So they've been very careful to only schedule when they know they're going to definitely have the doses or after they have them. So that seems to be the biggest bottleneck that we have is when it gets when the vaccine gets delivered. I feel so like the supply Tennessee chain has, has been mm-hmm. so the supply chain has been very unreliable, and, yeah. and there hasn't yeah. been any kind of certainties yet. You have vaccines that have to be stored in at certain in certain conditions, and then maybe don't last real long, right? Right. These are not vaccines most doctors' offices are going to have. They have to have special storage requirements, special training to administer. So they've really been kind of relegated to certain specialized centers, if you will, that can uh, vaccinate. So that that has also been an issue. Now, that may be less of a problem with the newer vaccines as they start to come out because they have other storage requirements that will be easier. Yeah, hopefully this will all get a lot better in the next 30 to 60 days, and by the time we get to the summer, this will start getting get in the rearview mirror a little bit. Now, how can someone, Dr. Singer, find out when they're eligible for the vaccine, and where is the pl- best place for people to get vaccinated here in the Knoxville area? So the best place to start is look at your county uh, Board of Health website. Uh, also, the Tennessee Board of Health website has a nice algorithm to kind of figure what category you're in, in that. And in terms of appointments, the the boards of health are going to be probably the most reliable places at this time to get vaccinated, although some primary care groups uh, and health systems in town are starting to offer that. So pay attention to their website. And uh, you know, I, would, I would check a couple times a week as things are changing, as they're changing which categories can get vaccinated when. So it's, it's uh, important to keep up to date on that. Man, this is great information. Dr. Andy Singer, thank you for being with us this morning. You're bo- he's a board-certified allergist and immunologist with Allergy and Asthma Associates. How can people get hold of you or find out more about Allergy and Asthma Associates? Oh, sure. Um, we've got several offices around town, and uh, we've got a website. Our office number is 865-525-2640, and happy to help uh, people sort out immune system issues and Allergy season is around the corner, despite all this other craziness. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we kind of forget about that in the winter, but it's going to be here before we know it. Well, hey, thank you you for taking some time out of your schedule. This has been great information. Great. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's Dr. Andy Singer with Allergy and Asthma Associates. He's a board-certified immunologist. Great to get that information. If you've missed part of that interview, uh, you can hear it again today at 3 o'clock right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. We'll also have it podcast on our website. You can you listen to it on demand at broganfinancial.com. Click on radio, and we'll have that up by Monday. When we come back, we're going to have Christy Altman. She's with Medic. 
And we're going to talk about some of the crisis we've had with blood donation and also what's going on with plasma and convalescent plasma donation and how that's helping patients with COVID-19. We'll also have my dollars and cents segment. What can we make of the GameStop mania? And what does it mean for you as an investor? And how might that affect your financial plan? So stay with us as you listen to More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. weekly radio show, television news appearances, and adult education classes taught at the University of Tennessee and Pellissippi State Community College. Jim taps into his extensive knowledge and experience to address issues important to living your best retirement. Join Jim every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. here on Newstalk 98.7 WOKI and visit him online at broganfinancial.com. And now, here's the host of More Living, Jim Brogan. Thanks for tuning in. This is More Living with Jim Rogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. That was great information from Dr. Andy Singer, uh, immunologist, about COVID and the vaccine. What's real, what's, what's myth. Uh, in, this, in these final two segments, we're going to have on uh, Christy Altman. She's with Medic. And we're going to talk about the importance of do- donation, both blood and plasma. However, before we get to uh, Christy Altman, it is time for Dollars and Cents. Want to be sure you are getting the most out of your retirement? For all the years of your retirement? That's the primary goal of More Living with Jim Brogan and our Dollars and Cents segment, where we provide you with an important financial tip that will help positively impact the quality of your life in retirement. And now, here's Jim with this week's Dollars and Cents tip. What do we make of the GameStop mania? And what can we learn from it and what and you know as we handle our finances and our investments? So, you know, GameStop, it's just been crazy, especially what happened this week. Uh for those of you that aren't real aware of it, uh basically through social media and through largely online message forums for stock traders, and this is individual stock traders. These are not the big institutional investors. These are online forums for people that trade stocks, more day trading than anything else. Uh they've bid up this stock, uh, and then they've added a few other stocks, AMC, BlackBerry, a few other stocks, but they just basically bid them way, way up, and it's created this mania, and they've gone up almost a 1,000%, especially the GameStop, in just literally a few weeks, and it's just been crazy. Uh, there's also been a little bit of this small investor against the institutional investor because what happened was – uh, on these message forums, they were discussing that some of the big institutional hedge fund managers had shorted GameStop and didn't feel like GameStop could support its lower its stock prices when they were down around you know twenty, thirty, forty dollars. And then you know, so there was a little bit of us against them, and it, it, you know, it crashed a lot of the hedge fund managers' holdings. I mean, with some of their short positions. In GameStop. And so basically, this stock has just skyrocketed. It went up, you know, it went up close to $400 a share. 
Uh, went up, I think, 135% in one day on Wednesday. Then on Thursday, it went down over uh, close to 50%. It was down at 200 a share. And then yesterday, it went back over 300 a share. Just crazy movements. So what what can we really be learning from this? And what does it mean for you as an investor? Uh, first off, it's not affecting the overall market. I mean, yesterday is an I mean Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday is an example. Game stock was moving uh, exact opposite of what the overall stock market was. Game stock boomed on Wednesday. The stock market had a pretty bad day Wednesday. GameStop went way down Thursday. A lot of the reason for that was a lot of online trading systems removed or limited access to tr- to buying GameStop. So it went way down, the market came way up, and then yesterday the opposite happened again. So it's not affecting the overall market. So my 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 comment for you listening today is this is nothing more than rampant speculation. I think we could almost say it's Almost gambling, to be quite frank. I mean, is there any way that the future earnings of GameStop can support a stock price of over $300 a share? I mean, if we looked at what GameStop's value would be to support $300 a share, there's absolutely no way that it can produce the kind of earnings to support that share price. And remember, when you buy a stock, ultimately... What you're doing is you're buying ownership in a company, and you're buying ownership in the future earnings and growth of that company. Now, that doesn't mean that people don't speculate in the short term on stock prices but because it, it does happen, and that's what day traders do. But it's very dangerous to speculate like this, and a fundamental financial plan should not have a significant amount of money in gross speculation. Can you take a small piece of your investment portfolio and speculate? Sure. Now, I'm not even sure this is speculation. This might be just gambling, as I said. But bottom line is, uh, your your base, most of your money should be in long-term approach where you're not gambling on the short-term mechanisms uh, of the market. So st- keep your eye on the ball you know, money in the short term should be invested in stable holdings and not gambling on the market, on, on individual stocks. And, and your longer-term plan should have exposure to the stock market, but you should have tremendous diversification and not bet on any one thing. If you bet on one thing, you might hit a home run, you might strike out. So just be very careful about chasing gains when you see stocks surging like this, you have to ask yourself, now there is money to be made in the short term, but it's more gambling in the short term. In the long term, can this company support this kind of price? Is it likely to make the kind of money it would need to to support this kind of price? So just be careful. If you want to speculate, use a small part of your money that you can afford to lose. And yeah, you're doing that to maybe hit a home run, but be sure you're prepared to strike out. That would be my message today, and be sure overall you have a financial plan that is helping you achieve your goals. It's not about, I want to make X percent. It's about how can you meet your goals and how do you position your money to meet your goals in the long haul. That's our Dollars and Cents segment for this week. You can find this week's Dollars and Cents segment and others by visiting BroganFinancial.com. 
I'd urge you to visit us at BroganFinancial.com to stay attuned to news. I'd, I'd really urge you to sign up for our e-newsletter. It goes out every week to your email, and we provide links to all of the content that we're providing. That would be our podcasts, our, my blog. I do some video blogs a couple times a month that are just four or five minutes. Uh, you know, just articles that we write. Uh, links to the podcast material from my radio show and my dollars and cents segments, my retirement minute that runs every week on this station. So I'd urge you to check us out at broganfinancial.com. Also, my next class is that we're, we're already into the class at the University of Tennessee Financial Survival for Retirement. This is a two-part class for people retired or getting ready to retire. My next class uh, is March the 2nd and 9th. Now, it's at Pellissippi State. Uh, community college. It's at their Hardin Valley location in the heart of West Knoxville. Easy parking, easy in and out. Again, it's March the 9th. For more information, you can go to PellissippiRetirementPlanning.com and you can download a syllabus and get more information. I'd love to see you in that class. Again, that's PellissippiRetirementPlanning.com. For my full schedule through the spring and even into the fall, Go to my website at broganfinancial.com, click on classes. That is a class where I do as much as I can in two two-hour sessions to cover all of the major points of a of what you need, what most people need in a successful retirement plan that covers all of the risks and realities and opportunities that you have in retirement. Now, we have with us this at, this morning, we have Christy Altman. She's the Director of Communications and Donor Engagement for Medic Regional Blood Center. Christy, it's great to have you with us. Good morning to, today. Hello, Christy. Do we have Christy with us? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, we sure can. Thank you so much for there joining us. Good morning. Thank you. Yeah, it's great having you on. Christy, I'm just going to kind of dive right in. I mean, we've heard news reports that blood banks are really low and that donations are needed. And it's been especially true over the past year during the pandemic. Tell us a little bit about Medic and what you've seen over there and what your needs are. Well, it's always challenging coming out of the holidays. So what we see in December, and, and this happens every year, is that folks get off their regular schedule. So you know, you're out of work, you're home with the family, you're traveling, you're doing various things, and you just forget to come in and donate, or it just slips your mind, gets off your calendar. So we have a hard time through the holidays keeping up with inventory needs. And then as we get into the new year, we run into almost the same thing. Folks getting back into their routines really struggles at the beginning of every year. And this year has been no different. Um, We have a hard time keeping up with the demand of the hospitals. We've been seeing a lot of traumas lately. Um, I can, you know, personally, when I'm out running on the Greenway, I see the helicopter flying into the hospitals pretty regularly, and our blood is on those helicopters. Um, so right now, we're at a critical level for O negative and O positive. So folks who are O negative and O positive blood types, we need them to come in as often as they can and donate as often as they can with us so we can stabilize that inventory. You know, that's interesting. I mean, O positive is one of the most common blood types, right? It sure is, and it's something that we can use that we send out for, um, you know, each blood type is different as far as what's universal for other blood types. So O-neg and O-pos can be used for almost any other person who needs a blood transfusion. So someone like myself who's an AB positive, my blood can only be transfused to someone who's AB positive, but my platelets and plasma are universal to anyone. So when I donate, I donate platelets 
So anyone can receive my platelets. So with O positive and O negative, those are the blood types that we use for traumas that hospitals request the most for when we have trauma patients. You know, and that looks like everything from accident victims to, you know, just some of the, the things that we've seen on the news lately. And then the other blood types, as well as the platelets and plasma, are also used for cancer patients, cancer treatments, and that's for adults and pediatric patients. You know, sickle cell patients also need transfusions regularly. So there's a constant demand for various blood types. Well, that's very interesting because I would have thought, you know, for people that have O positive, for example, it's so common you, there's, you, know, you wouldn't have an issue there. Whereas the negative, you know, the rare blood types, you know, it's a lot harder. But I guess that what you're saying is you can use O positive and O negative for so many different kinds of patients. Well, you've talked, Christy, about the, 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 the issue with the calendar and the first of the year coming out of the holidays. But what about the effect of the pandemic on the blood banks? It has been a wild ride for the last year. What we saw early on, as people often do, they got they wanted to help when things when information began to come out about the pandemic. People really wanted to be able to help. So we saw this big uptick at the end of March of people donating blood, and that was coming off the heels of the tornadoes in Cookville, which is very close to our Crossville location. So we had already had a really busy March, and then in April, as we as the hospitals stopped doing the elective surgeries. We don't have as much of a demand, so we had to, to really look at the schedules and figure out how to collect, where to collect that was safe, and then how to keep that inventory at a level that's stable without having what we would say excess. Um, and we, we, we did that pretty well. But then as you get into the summer months of the pandemic and on into the fall, it becomes a nationwide blood shortage. So when we were low, everyone else in the country was low. Yeah, that makes sense. We're visiting with Christy Altman. She's with Medic Regional Blood Center. When we come back, we're going to talk about some common misconceptions or myths about blood donation and also the importance of plasma and, and convalescent plasma uh, with the COVID pandemic. So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. for listening to More Living with Jim Brogan. If you miss any of today's show or want to listen to it again, visit broganfinancial.com where you can access the podcast and other educational materials to help you in your journey through retirement. And now, here's Senior Market Advisor Magazine's 2011 National Advisor of the Year and host of More Living, Jim Brogan. Thanks for tuning in on this Chris Cool Saturday. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Be sure to check us out online at broganfinancial.com. We've got a lot of great information there. And everything we do with this radio show, with our website, with my blogs, my articles I write, with the classes I teach, is to give you great information so you can make informed and prudent decisions that can impact the quality of your life. We're visiting this morning with Christy Altman. She's with Medic Blood Center. Uh, earlier in the show, we had Dr. Andy Singer, uh, immunologist. We talked about COVID, and we talked about the vaccine myths and realities. Uh, Christy, when it comes to Medic, um, what are some common misconceptions or myths about blood donation? 
think one of the things that people are most worried about, and it's not really a myth, but most people are worried about maybe passing out or the process itself. Um, but we encourage them to just eat, you know, eat a good meal before you come. Make sure you're hydrated. And the whole process is very quick. That's another, people think it's going to be an all-day situation, but you can get in and out with a whole blood donation in about an hour. And the thing that takes the longest is actually the screening process because we're regulated by FDA. There's so many questions that we have to ask donors to make sure that they're healthy and well to donate. That's really the longest part of the whole whole day. You come in, we do the screening, and then start to finish for the actual donation time is about 15 to 20 minutes. Now, Christy, are there certain medical conditions or drugs we could – you know, drugs people could be taking, prescription drugs, that would preclude them from being able to donate blood? There are, and what we ask those folks to do, we have a list on our website at medicblood.org, or we ask them to call us at 524-3074 and ask to speak with one of the nurses, and they can go through over the phone their medications just to make sure they don't make a trip in and find out that they're deferred for a certain medication. Um, In the last year, the FDA has changed a lot of the um, travel restrictions and things that have been that have not allowed folks who maybe traveled overseas or were in the military to donate for years. And so a lot of those restrictions have been lifted. So if anybody has just specific questions about their own situation, just call us and we can get somebody to answer those questions for them. That's great information. If uh, Now, you mentioned that, that O positive, positive and negative blood types can be used for so many different things. If somebody has a less common blood type, is it still a good idea to donate? Yes, what we would do is we would have a conversation with them about which donation type is best. So like I mentioned myself, what I do when I donate is I, I go for platelets because platelets have a very short shelf life. We can only, they can only be used for five days after a collection. So once somebody has donated platelets, it's a very quick process to get those tested and then to get them distributed to the hospitals for use. And then folks who donate platelets can do so more often. So you can donate up to 26 times a year. It does take a little bit longer, so we ask you, you know, to bring some. I take snacks when I go. It takes me about two and a half hours for the full process, but I know that my platelets are being used almost immediately, and they're being used by, you know, our pediatric cancer patients, but, you know, others in the hospital, burn victims, trauma victims. So if someone does not have an O-positive or an O-negative blood type, they can just ask us which donation opportunity is best for them. Now, what about plasma? Talk about the difference in that and how important plasma donation is. Sure. So there's two. What we have been doing in the last year, you mentioned the COVID convalescent plasma. That is a new product that we have been processing and distributing since summer of last year. Um, And that's people that have had COVID and donate plasma, right? Yes, absolutely. So it's actually a very... um, historical type of treatment. It's just not used as much because of modern-day medicine, but the idea is that the antibodies in that plasma are trans- the plasma is transfused into a patient, and it helps their body begin to fight the infection. So folks who have had, who have recovered from COVID-19 can donate plasma with us. We collect it, we get it ready to go, and then we distribute it out to the hospitals. Um, like a regular, you know, I say a regular plasma product is also used by hospitals. That can be used for burn patients and, again, for trauma patients. There's a whole host of needs in several, in different scenarios for different types of the, what we call the blood product. Um, but again, right now we're doing a large focus on the COVID convalescent plasma because there's such a high demand for it in our area. Christy, what's the best way for people to support Medic and how can they uh, find out more information? You gave out a website and a phone number. Can, is that the best way and can you give those out again? 
I sure can. It's medicblood.org, or they can call us anytime at 524-3074. And the best way to support us is to donate. A whole blood donor can donate every 56 days. As I mentioned, the platelet donors can come more often. Plasma donors can come every 28 days. And honestly, the best thing that they can do for us is make that appointment on their way out the door. So when they come in and donate, stop and see one of our staff members and make an appointment for your next visit. And just make it a regular occurrence on your calendar. And that will help us keep the blood supply stable for our 25 hospitals in the 22 counties that we serve. Christy, thank you so much for coming on this morning and taking time out of your busy schedule. Thank you for having us. We really enjoyed talking with you guys, and we appreciate the help promoting our needs. Absolutely. That's Christy Altman. She's with Medic Blood Center here in East Tennessee. Do check them out, medicblood.org. Thank you for tuning in this week. Uh, We've discussed uh, a lot of health issues with COVID, with uh, the vaccine, with blood and plasma donation, because greater health provides for more living so you can live the best years of your life your way. Thank you to Chris for engineering the show. Thank you to Jill producing the show. Have a very, very blessed weekend as you've been listening to More Living with Jim Brogan, only on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.